as we begin, I have to note that people back in the day, they didn't exactly use modern language when describing each other's reality. In our first story, it starts on the playground at an elementary school in Texas where Terry Galloway is playing with her friends. Okay, so one time we were running around on the playground, just running around on the playground, and all of a sudden I could just feel myself lift. I thought, oh my God, look at me, look at me, look at me. I looked around and no one seemed to be looking in my direction. And then I fell and I vomited. I was telling my friends, look, I was flying, I was flying. And they just thought, no, I tripped and I was sick and something was wrong. Terry would hallucinate like this all the time. And it wasn't until her mother took her to the hospital that she found out why. They found out that I was, uh, I was kind of blind as a bat and pretty much deaf as a doornail. And the combination of Terry's nearsightedness and hearing loss was the reason why she felt like she was flying at times. The cure was actually worse than a disease at this point. The doctor gave Terry a pair of super thick cat-eye glasses and a box hearing aid. This was 1960, and the hearing aids were far from dainty. The two molds that sat in Terry's ears connected to a box that sat in a halter that she would wear underneath her shirts. And it chained me to the ground. You know, it just chained me. So one day, Terry was in the front yard playing with her neighbors when her mom waved her over. In her mom's hand was a brochure. It was for a camp in Curvel, Texas. And she asked Terry if she wanted to go. I had been talking about camp because, for me, camp was where the rich kids went. These kids, when they would come back from that, they always looked so, so tanned, you know, and so fit and just giddy with whatever success that camp brought and also the sense of community. I thought, wow, yes, I want to go. <laughs> you bet. I was going to be a whiz at archery, and I was going to be so hot in my little tennis whites, and you know, and uh, and and I was going to ride a horse. This camp was free to kids with disabilities. Terry's mom told her it was a special camp, and Terry thought special's good. So at the beginning of the summer, she boarded the bus to Curvel, Texas. And I was daydreaming the whole trip there. I pictured myself all of a sudden slimming down and all of a sudden getting wonderfully tan. And, you know, and I was going to get transformed into one of the rich kids. We pull up to the Lions Camp for Crippled Children and we get out. And the minute I got off the bus, I knew this was not a camp for rich kids. You know, nobody's jumping off the bus with a tennis racket. There's not a horse in sight. All around me are these kids that I'm looking around and I've never seen anything like this. It's, it's kids that, <laughs> you know, they're kids that are three feet tall and kids that have uh, arms like flippers and, and kids with these milky white eyes and kids that are in chairs and drooling and, and uh, you know, kids on crutches. 
I was a good kid, and I didn't want to be shocked by it. I, I couldn't believe that life had done this to children. I felt myself be turned inside out. It was just fear because this was the unknown. The counselors rounded the kids up and divided them by gender and age for the cabin assignments. Terry was assigned to the Chippewa cabin with the other 9 to 11-year-old girls. The screens, and you're in their little camp setting, and it's a little camp cottage thing, but of course everything's accessible and everything's very, very clean, you know, everything. But it, it still has this sense of camp. We used to call each other uh, all sorts of things, like you know, you know, I they, I was deafy, and this girl was one leg. Sometimes we'd call her Peggy. She had gotten her leg kind of cut off in an automobile accident, and to this, to us, it was extraordinarily glamorous. We had a prosthesis, and it was so marvelous. We would watch her strap it on and take it off. It was like a production, a play. And then there was Dolores. She was so wonderful. She was so kind and funny. She had, like, little dark eyes like Bambi. You know, she had very dark hair. But she was she was paralyzed from the neck down. She was uh, on a bed for the most part. And so, because I loved her and we were friends, we would go to uh, breakfast together, and sometimes I, they would let me push her, her bed, or I'd push her well bed to, to some event, and then we'd sit and talk. While most of the girls in the Chippewa cabin seemed to become fast friends, Terry only had Dolores. She wasn't exactly part of the in crowd. I wanted to be one of the crowd. I wanted to be in the group. I wanted to be a member of that. But they were cold. You know, I would, I would make overtures and they weren't accepted. And they had their little clique. Would you say that there were kids at camp who didn't like you? Yeah, there were a lot of people who hated my guts, I gotta say. Because, one way or another, Terry managed to offend pretty much everyone at camp. I would do things like, um, I love Jerry Lewis, so I was imitating Jerry Lewis. But Jerry Lewis's funny walk looked exactly like the walk of the girl who had CP, cerebral palsy. And I don't realize that she thinks I'm making fun of her. Or um, the little person. She's like three years older than I am. And I'm calling her a little cutie, you know. And the blind girl didn't like me because, one, I, I would kind of, I would try to push her along. You know, she, was take, she would take too long. And so I wanted to push her along, push her along in the line, push her along, hurry up, hurry up. I thought I was being helpful. Since there was no tennis, no archery, no horseback riding at the Lions camp for crippled children... All Terry really ever did was read Mad Magazine with her only friend, Dolores. And sometimes, they'd go swimming. The pool was divided into two halves, shallow and deep. The shallow, there were the kids that uh, they couldn't swim alone. You know, we call them shallow enders and floaters because they, they didn't have the use of their limbs and they always needed uh, two counselors often two counselors, just to move them through the water. And in the, the deep end, well, the Chippewas, there were just three of us, okay? That was me, Deffy, and one leg, and then my nemesis, the blind girl. We just did not like each other at all. 
first of all, she was snobby, and she didn't have much of a sense of humor, and I hated her. And every day, these three Chippewa campers would line up on the short end of the pool for a scrappy, splashy, chaotic race to the other end. The blind girl was still getting used to the texture of water is clueless. She could get uh, she could get a little lost. And the girl with one leg, she couldn't keep her balance. And so she was sometimes, she, when she would first start off, she'd be swimming around in circles, which gave me, of course, a god-awful advantage. But what I couldn't do was here. But that was okay because the uh, deep end instructor would, she would chop her hands down and I could see that and she would scream, you know, go. And the blind girl could hear that. We knew if we win the races, you get the reward. At the end of the week, the deep end instructor would decide who out of the three was the best swimmer. The winner would go home with a plastic trophy painted in gold with the words best inscribed on the front. But what they really competed for was the attention of the deep-end instructor. All the counselors seemed beautiful to us. You know, they were all young women, and and they were, of course, physically perfect. And uh, she was a swimmer, and honey blonde, and aqua eyes, and, you know, the perfect body. And, And she was kind. You know, she had all the patience in the world. She thought we were funny. And, uh, and, so, and so, of course, we loved her. If I get that cup and I get her attention, that means I'm, I'm normal enough to be worth saving. I'm worth something. I wanted the prize the perfection, the thing that was perfect. If she loved me, then I was worth loving. Terry's biggest competition was one leg because everyone loved her. And Terry had lost a few races. But still, going into the final race, she more or less felt like this was her trophy to lose. I thought, ah, oh, this is a shoe, and I was going to beat the pants off of them both. And I thought, I'm not going to beat them the way I usually do, which is that I left their asses in the water. But because it was the last day to race, the deep-end instructor decided that instead of doing the honors of yelling, ready, set, go, and chopping the water, she would let one leg do it. I'm reading her lips. I'm so nearsighted. I'm just blind as a bat. And I kind of understand that it's ready, set, go. But I get afraid. They've been practicing those two, and they are off like shots, and they are like half a length more than in front of me, and I think, I'm not going to win. I'm not going to win. And and I'm just furious with myself because I understand it's because I didn't hear the right thing. And I want to say, stop the race because I didn't hear it. I didn't hear it right. you got to stop it. They were not going to have a bit of sympathy for that. And so I start, and I keep thinking, this isn't fair. I'm going to lose, and I can't even I can't even protest. I'm just so furious, and so I think, I'm giving in. (gasps) 
I just sink. I let it all go. And I just let myself drop. And then I come bopping back up. I'm performing driving. And I see the deep end instructor is in me. And so I'm going to go for it. And I drop back under. And I just know it all got very serious right at that moment. Because in a camp for crippled children, if a kid goes under the water, that's not fake. So she dives into the water and she grabs my arm and she's dragging me and swinging it down. I'm splattering up. She tosses me out of the pool. (laughs) And I let my body go limp. It's just like flap. And she's on me and she's pressing the water and I knew it was coming, and I just gulped in as much water as I could, and she does it, and I'm spitting it up. I'm doing everything I can to make this performance seem real. When I open my eyes, that's when she just burst into tears and grabbed me. And, you know, and... (laughs) Man, that's what I wanted, wasn't it? Everyone thought I had just about drowned. Terry walked around for the rest of the day feeling giddy, but also kind of guilty. And so when she walked into the cafeteria the next night for the awards ceremony, she didn't know what to expect. There's a little stage in the back. There was a pianist. He was blind, a blind guy who came there to perform. And then you have a, a field of chairs interspersed with the kids in their beds, on their rail beds, the kids in their wheelchairs. It's a sea of children with every kind of body. So the award ceremony started. They would, you know, call out who won what, and you would go up there, you would be wheeled up there. So I'm sitting there. And Terry struggled to see and hear what was going on. But she did manage to see the deep end instructor make her way to the stage. And then, all of a sudden, the girl sitting in the wheelchair next to Terry grabbed her by the halter and held the speaker of her hearing aid and yelled, You won, Beth Swimmer! I had really mixed feelings because, you know, when I was not the most popular person in that camp, I've been rewarded for a huge lie. And I thought, well, I gotta show him. And so I limped across the stage to get my award. And then I limped on my other leg after I had accepted the award. <laughs> I didn't want them hating me. They didn't even know the depth of the fraud. When Terry got back to her seat, her friend Dolores asked her if she had twisted her ankle. And I told her, yeah, both of them. I was, you know, I was in my cot thinking about what had occurred, what had happened. And I was just feeling so overwhelmed with guilt that I got this under such false pretenses. And also, it, it, it was occurring to me what I had done. Terry thought about getting up, crawling out of her cot, and making her way to the deep end instructor's room. 
I wanted to go and knock on her door and 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 fling myself at her feet and confess, confess, confess. But I was scared. You know, it it seemed too much. It seemed like too adult, too another territory altogether to go confess that I did this and confess what she meant and then confess that I love doing it. I tried to go to sleep, but it wasn't going to happen. And so I stayed up half the night. I just curled my little body up, and I was feeling ashamed and and thrilled, thrilled to my bones. Big thanks to Terry Galloway for sharing her story. After a stay at Lions Camp, Terry realized that she loved to perform, and she's still performing on stage, in films, and on the radio. To find out more about Terry's life, check out her book, Mean Little Deaf Queer. The original score was by Leon Morimoto. That story was produced by Adiza Egan. <laughs>